Welcome to the Data Leadership Lessons Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony J. Algman. Data is everywhere in our businesses, and it takes leadership to make the most of it. We bring you the people, stories, and lessons to help you become a data leader. Today, we welcome George Farrakhan. George is an exuberant advocate for the importance of data, a frequent conference speaker, and a YouTuber. He is the founder of LightsOnData.com and co-host of the Lights on Data show. And I'll tell you, where some of the influencers out there are all style and no substance, George's content provides real insights across a bunch of different data topics, some of which we'll touch on today. So, George, welcome to the Data Leadership Lessons Podcast. It's, it's awesome to have you here. I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm equally excited. And thank you, Anthony, for having me on. And uh, well, thank you for the kind words as well. Of course. No, it's 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 really, I, I mean, I've known of you and connected with you at various points over the past, you know, several years. But, um, you know, it feels like this, this is an overdue episode like this is your person i should have been like you should have been first 10 people i brought onto the show so <laughs> better late than never and i'm i'm you know happy uh that we're able to do this and i'm excited for for the conversation so why don't we start by you know for those that are watching or listening who don't already know you uh help us understand what's your story and how did you find your calling as the friendly data guy the friendly data the guy, friendly yes. data guy <laughs> yes. Well, so I'm a data governance practitioner by heart, but also by profession. So that's my day-to-day -day role and job. I practice data governance, and then I talk about it and try and impart my knowledge. But no, I didn't, you know, start as, with a degree in data governance. Unfortunately, there's none yet. That not yet. You can embark <laughs> on. Not yet. Not yet. But I'm, I'm sure soon enough we'll have that bachelor in data governance and master's and even PhD. So I, I did start in software programming, actually. Mm. That was my, my initial calling. And uh, as I started working more on the front-end stuff, I really enjoyed that interaction with the customer to, well, through the, the business analysts, really mainly, to understand the requirements, what their challenges are, what are they trying to accomplish. So then I kind of made that switch into that project management role, mm. more on the technical side. And that gave me even more visibility. And I think at that point, I really understood the impact that data has in all these systems and the importance really of data quality. And of course, you can't really have good data quality without data governance. That's sort of how I progressed. I actually went into a data quality managerial role, which was really just focused on that. Just give us better data for our organization on you know, this particular system. And uh, then I kind of learned on the job the idea that, okay, we're missing certain things here. We can't really make it sustainable without this data governance piece. And what is that? And then I really discovered a magical world of data governance. And really, it was a surprise to me when I joined the, the first Dataversity conference that it was such a much bigger world than I thought it was. And that so many more people were addressing the need, but also so many people were facing similar challenges than I was. And really that wrote me in 10 years ago and uh, haven't looked back since. That's awesome. Yeah, the, the conferences were so big for me as well, because for so long, I just felt like I was the only one who cared about this stuff and to mm -hmm. go to a, a DGIQ or an enterprise data world and realize, hey, I'm one of many people out there that feels like they're totally alone in all this stuff. And it, it was it was awesome. And, and, I, and I miss that dearly in, in the, the year Same. of pandemic. Um, but hopefully before too long, we'll, we'll get to do it again. So I'm um, sure I'm sure. 
One thing, because I also came from kind of a technology focused background in, in building software. And I, and I have this hypothesis that, you know, when you have that technology, uh, background, you tend to have an appreciation for some of the, uh, structures that are necessary to, um, to develop, you know, the proper kinds of data governance that you need. Like when you code, there are, you know, it's, it's black and white. It's ones and zeros at the end of the day. And, and mm-hmm. I think that mentality of it either works or it doesn't influences how you approach data governance. Do you think that's the case or do you think I'm nuts? Cause that could be too. <laughs> well, you know, it may be unbiased that I'm seeing it in a similar way because I do, uh, we share similar backgrounds, I guess, on on the technical side. And yes, I, I completely agree with you. And then having uh, the software development piece, I think, in, in the back and understanding how the whole uh, project methodology and development works just puts even more structure and, and brings that structure into the data governance world, where sometimes because you need to work with the business and uh, address all these different requirements, you I think you do need to put that structure um, that it's clear to everybody what sort of path you need to follow to get to the place where you want to be yeah and and then the the your your career progression is almost how i would kind of draw it up to some extent because moving into project management and the kinds of structure that it takes but from that business perspective mm-hmm. kind of adds another flavor to it because i think ultimately like in, in data governance i think we would all agree you're you're connecting that business impact and that that business need for data to the technology systems and platforms that that help nurture and steward data in in, in the technical context Context. And so having, um, you know, experience and capabilities on both sides naturally makes sense for a data governance professional. But that that project management piece, I think, really is is a strong piece because of the nature of data governance as a change function in an organization. Can you talk a little bit about your perspective on data governance as it relates to change management? Yeah, that's a very good question. And you know what? I think change management is often overlooked in data governance. I don't know if you feel that way, but I feel it's it's overlooked along with really the, the, the entire communication of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think IDC was mentioning um, at, at a conference lots of years ago that data governance is maybe 80% communication. And it's true. And mm-hmm. if you don't have that change management in place, and if you are not starting to engage with the with the data stakeholders, with the business owners from the get-go and understand what's in it for them, if you're not finding the answer to that question and then showing how data governance will address it, how it will address their needs, their requirements, you're kind of losing half the battle. It's really hard to drive your point across and get them on board and get them to take ownership and involvement, right? And um, to help you create those standards and enforce the policies and uh, monitor the quality of the data and everything that goes with it. So change management is a very, very important aspect that really overlaps with this and regardless of what other people are saying i mean data governance does bring in change to an organization and i know there's uh, things such as a non-invasive data governance mm-hmm. but uh, still it, it does require that change and constant interaction involvement with with the stakeholder no doubt and and i think you know one of the things that can put a data governance uh effort in the wrong direction is thinking that data governance is fundamentally about the data. 
it, mm. because it, that's a one side. It's it's where you're operating. It's what you're like thinking about in terms of the functional um, influence you're trying to have. But if you don't realize it's not about the data, it's about how the business can leverage that data and use that data to do something with it. If you don't focus on that part, you'll lose half of it. And then it makes it very difficult for, for data governance to be successful uh, in the end. Yeah, that, that's well said. And I mean, DEMA is defining it as the exercise of authority control and shared decision making over the management of data assets, right? And the usage of, of data assets. So yes, maybe uh, you're right. Maybe data governance is kind of giving it a, not a bad name, but it's taking also the focus away from the business side of things, which is very much the focus yeah, it, I, I often struggle with some of the terminology we've chosen in the day in the broader data management space, because mm -hmm. it's like data governance really is about change management. And if we don't you know, understand it's it's helping drive more successful business through data, data governance is, is it's still correct because of the what we're doing with the data. So I get it. Um, but I get really, I get really worked up when it comes to things like metadata management. I'm like, so wait a second. We've, we've chosen this term that just naturally confuses all normal people and just sounds like really, really difficult. And literally we're just talking about providing some context to make data more useful. Like that's, that's, it's such a complicated term for such a simple concept at the end. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Plus, there's so much overlap with all these other data management areas within data quality and even privacy and, uh, well, data management overall. So, plus, if you Google data, what, what is data governance? I think you're going to get over 50 definitions. Well, isn't that that's so interesting, too, because we can't even get clarity on the term data governance. How are we possibly going to get alignment on how you do it? Like it's, we don't even, we can't even define the term consistently. And I think, I think as, as like a deeper data management professional community, I like the, 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 um, definition that you brought forth from, from, um, uh, from DEMA, like that, that, that's pretty getting pretty close. I think we're more or less aligned on that, but we can also amplify it with all of these other terms. And so like, help me understand what we, the kind of the landscape of some of the core terms. So we, we talk about like data governance or enterprise data management or information governance or inf enterprise information management. We could throw some enterprise architecture into that or data architecture. All of these terms are floating around. How in the world are we supposed to keep them straight? If we're, especially for the folks that are just now coming into it, it's gotta be overwhelming. It, it is. And I think even for the data management professionals, sometimes you're like, what? Hold on. I mean, I, I know uh, Tom Redmond, for example, you know, he's he's saying, well, there's so much overlap on data governance and data quality in, mm -hmm. in multiple ways. They're kind of the same thing. And I don't want to put words in his mouth, but that's sort of what I what I gather from some of the things that he's saying. Yeah. And he's definitely the data quality guru out there. But uh, yeah, I, I see him. I, I think Dema in a way is putting them in, in a right order that they're kind of all these spokes on the wheel, all the data management areas, and then data governance kind of sits in the middle, trying to tie them all up to make sure that they work together nicely. Yeah. And, and to give you a, 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 and a little extra plug for some of the, the work that you've done on YouTube, I just find that your format and the way you bring like you'll you'll have a video that and you'll talk about you know something straightforward like getting started with data governance mm -hmm. and you actually break it down it's probably about a 14 15 minute um you know video and 
you actually break down what do we what are we talking about here? What do you need to do to get started? And what I really found um, you know uh, helpful is that you break it down enough to where a person can actually start doing something. And it's not so prescriptive that it's like, okay, check this box, check this box, check this box. But it, it gives people something really um, uh, actionable for, for doing something. So I, 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 you know, if, if this world of what we're talking about, uh, George and I on, on the show right now, if you're like, I really could use help understanding some of this terminology and, and, and navigating through it, Check out some of George's videos because they really do a good job of breaking down some of this in a, in a little bit um, more uh, piecemeal way than what we're going to be able to do on on the show today. Well, I appreciate it. and definitely more more will come. And I appreciate the support and uh, seeing how it's helping people is definitely giving me the energy and motivation to keep on creating content. Which, as you know, takes a bit of time to put together. It is. It is. We were talking before uh, we started recording the the show, and I was like, the, "George's production quality is so good." And I'm like, as a person who spends a lot of time doing these uh, these episodes and stuff myself, I'm I'm in awe of your ability to to make that so professional because it is no small amount of work. So so George's content, excellent content, well polished, definitely worth a subscribe on on YouTube. Um, after you subscribe here on YouTube, of course course, but then jump over to George's uh, uh, feed and, and subscribe there. So um, no, but it, it is um, it is really a, a service that you're doing for the community. Like, I mean, most of us that are doing this kind of content are really motivated by just trying to extend the conversation, realizing not everybody gets to these conferences. Not everybody has the the chance to take, um, you know, dedicated training or like there, there's not even a college you know course or, or major on this stuff. And so a lot of us... I don't know about you, but coming, you know, we talked about the benefits of coming from like the software development side of things. I did data governance for the better part of a decade before I knew data governance was a thing. Right. <laughs> and so helping to introduce people to that earlier is a helpful thing, I think. So definitely, um, you know, it, it's it's a good to have that conversation. And I feel lucky that we have these these formats, these channels that didn't exist, you know, 15 years ago. We, we couldn't have seen these things if we if if we wanted to. They didn't they weren't there. I know. And, you know, I appreciate hosts such as yourself that are really putting in the time to to bring in uh, all these other voices and, and share opinions and at the same time give some practical advice to the audience. So thanks for putting the time into it. Yeah, likewise, likewise. It's it's great to be part of that that community, definitely. So let's let's get let's dive into some details on on what yeah. um you know some things that people might be thinking about when we're coming from a data leadership perspective. Obviously, we we've kind of touched on kind of one of the core um you know components of that of, of, of impacting businesses and and trying to connect into things that that are really meaningful for our organizations. Um, one of the things uh, that you talk about is is managing data as a business asset, and that's pretty fundamental. Mm -hmm. Why don't we start there? When you talk about that, what what are the key points to that? So here's how I like to look at it and. To compare with other what other assets a company has, and the two major ones that come in mind are well the financial assets, which is almost everything that you can think of, mm -hmm. and then well the employees as you know human resources is the other assets, and well traditionally financial assets are well managed by the finance finance department, uh, employees by HR, mm -hmm. and. Um, Right, so we have the employees as assets, financial assets, and then we also have data as another asset or assets. I guess it's plural. Mm -hmm. 
So if we do focus on the financial assets, well, who's managing those? Kind of accountants, if you think about it. And accountants are governed by a set of principles and policies and are checked in by auditors, right? And auditing really ensures that correct management of financial assets. Basically, that there's no cooking the books, if you will. Mm -hmm. So the way I see it, principles, policies, auditing really accomplishes for financial assets what data governance accomplishes for data. Mm -hmm. Right. So in that sense, you know, Clive Humby back in the, I think, early 90s, maybe. He was one of the um, Tesco club card architects. Mm -hmm. So the Tesco is kind of like the Walmart of the UK, if you will, or Target. So there's this like online, well, in-person and online supermarket that has a lot more than a supermarket would. And uh, and he was brought in, him and his wife actually were brought in to see how could they derive a point system for their like membership card, right? So every time you're scanning your card, you're gaining some points and then the company, they might be able to benefit from uh, those insights to kind of see what you're purchasing and how they could motivate you to purchase other stuff or purchase more and keep keep on coming back. Mm. It's something that any any store wants, right? And uh, anyways, he devised a system. So he was really a, a statistician, mathematician by, by heart, by trade. Uh, but he sort of became a data scientist, if you will, through this. And he really showed through the, this data is such a big asset that I'm going to call it the new oil, which mm. is... Uh, you know something that's debated because it's not really data is not like the like oil, but right. in some ways it is. But what he was trying to say by that, by coining that phrase, is that data is an asset. That data can bring a lot of value and can derive a lot of value by extracting that information out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, there there's a lot of merit. I think in in this analogy or this this notion of data as an asset, where I think it's interesting to think about how it deviates from traditional assets is that it's not consumed the same way. Like if you use data in a lot of ways, data actually it doesn't reduce. You don't consume it and it goes away. The more you use it, actually, the more valuable it can become because of these derivatives of data that allow you to do more with it. And so like the more you use it, the more valuable it becomes, which is an interesting dynamic that I haven't actually found a perfect analogy to. Do you have anything else that that you've been able to say beyond like this, you know, traditional asset comparison, like the oil one is is one that we've heard for for a bit. Um, I've I've tried to talk about it as energy. And that's basically the same thing as oil. I've tried. I just don't know. I've heard all these other analogies like data is the new water source or even the new plutonium. But yes, all of them still rely on uh, the physical aspects that you can only use once Mm -hmm. type of a thing. And you can use it for multiple pieces at the same time out of the same uh, same thing. So with 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 a I don't know, a table in a database. You can have multiple uses in parallel and draw different types of information and uh, benefits out of it. Yeah, it, it just it's and maybe we're better off that there isn't an analogy because it's it's kind of great that you can think, hey, what other scenario can you use it as much as you want? And the more you use it, it becomes more valuable 
And why are we so bad at this still? Like, like, how is it that, that we've just been like, nah, we're, we're, we're not going to put enough energy into to doing this thing, which is basically infinite in its potential for us. And most organizations are still, you know, woefully uh, inept at, at capitalizing on that. And it's, it's it, fascinating. And, that, and that's the thing. I mean, so many organizations are, are mentioning we want to be data driven, but then they're not really investing the resources into it. Right. Or even some that are are not prioritizing different things. They're kind of really focusing on the sexy part of it. So that's the AI machine learning applications. But then they're not investing in that infrastructure and making sure that, well, clean data is feeding these systems, which is many times why they also fail to come to uh, good fruition. You know, I, I'm glad you brought up this whole notion of, of data driven um, you know, organizations that don't actually become data driven because it's it's not it, it's as if they 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 say data driven but what they actually try to do is be like data justified like they do what they're going to do anyway and then they find data wow. to try yeah. to validate that what they did was correct and that is really backwards that is not the what that's not what data driven is actually about <laughs> and so i think that there and that's the challenge right it's like it, you have to if you want to be become more quantified if you really want to become more data driven you have to be okay with a few core things you have to have first the skills to actually you know, objectively analyze the data and take action, whatever the data tells you. And you can overlay subjectivity or, or strategy or, or what have you. You don't have to do everything just based on what the machine spits out, but you mm -hmm. really do need to listen to it. And then the mm -hmm. other thing implied with that is that you have to start becoming okay with changing behavior and, and acknowledging and even embracing imperfections and, and mistakes because data will expose those. And if you don't have, like I, I read a lot about like psychological safety and building high performing teams and things like that. Same thing at an organizational level with data. If you cannot be okay by seeing imperfections that data exposes, you're going to have a whole lot of trouble becoming data driven. What's your, what are your thoughts on that? And, and what kind of experience have you seen that out in the, in the wild with? Yeah, so uh, back to your initial point, I completely agree with that. I couldn't have said it better myself that uh, sometimes management is kind of looking for data as a data-driven piece to supplement their decision-making or to reinforce what they've already decided on. And like you said, that's a little bit backwards. And uh, yes, on, on the other piece, I, I completely agree with you. And um, what I think it's hard is why there's that lack of trust. Mm -hmm. I think it is because these, again, these foundations are not treated or they don't get the, the uh, resources that they need to. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're not investing highly enough in data quality and, and the whole data management and master data management and data governance. And they're investing more into, again, the, uh, the data science piece or even the reporting. But... Um, once they do, if they get that wrong answer that they're not expecting or they're unhappy with, or they actually uncover, well, it's because of bad data, it just ruins everything for them. And they're like, well, we clearly can't trust it. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to how we were doing things um, before. Mm -hmm. And the issue is, well, it's a long-term investment when you're investing in these sources. So you're not going to see their ROI the next day as you would if you maybe hire another salesperson. 
right? right? But in the long term, it will actually serve you a lot better. So that's always a challenge on how do we communicate that to the business leaders? How do we convince them of this importance? And Scott Taylor is addressing this often and also in his book. And the fact that maybe we shouldn't talk to them about the data piece, but really, again, what's in it for them and what talk to them about the business language and what they're trying to address. And then, okay, if we are on the same page, let me invest or give me resources to invest in data governance, in data management, in data quality, and you know everything else that's needed to get to where you want to uh, get to. Yeah, you just made an excellent point that I want to emphasize, and that is around. You know, we just my previous point was around you know being data driven or, or data justified, and and you know creating this you know ability to be uh, imperfect. Well, you then. If I, if I heard you correctly, and I think I did. We also need to learn how to do that with the data itself. Like the data mm-hmm. quality, we, we run a risk if we say, okay, well, we can be imperfect, but the data better be perfect. And we're going to set the expectation that the data is perfect. And then the moment that the data is not perfect, cause hey, everybody, it's not going to be perfect. The moment that happens, everybody stops trusting the data and goes back to where it was comfortable and not data driven at all. Yeah, yeah. And, and not challenging. And, and that's a huge risk. I think you, that's an enormously important point because that is the connection point to all of those fundamental pieces, like the data qualities and the metadata management, the data governance, all of those pieces that contribute to truly becoming data driven. Data driven is what we want. Nobody wants data governance. Like even the compliance people are like, yeah, we got to do data governance. <laughs> we get it. Nobody really wants that, but we know we need that to get the thing that's really important, which is being data driven, which leads us to improving our, our organizations, which is the, the top line reason to do all of this stuff. So I think excellent connection because I don't know that that's immediately obvious and clear because we we break it down too much and then we kind of lose the forest through the trees when we start talking about data governance or data quality or, or what have you. So great, great insight that I think is, is um, you know, hopefully very useful to some of the folks that are, are watching, listening out there right now. So hope one, so. I want to switch gears because one mm-hmm. other thing is, you know, there's a role for technology in all of this. And I'm sure as I've seen, I'm sure you've seen as well, uh, there's a tendency for these organizations to say, you know what, we're hearing you, data-driven, you know, data quality, yes, governance, all important. There's tools out there that just do that for us. Um, Sure. What's wrong with that? (laughs) Or is that okay? Listen, I've (laughs) seen cases where companies have invested just $50,000 in one license and only one license for one tool. And that's, you know, at a minimum, there's companies that invest a lot more. Mm -hmm. And then they're kind of expecting, well, the tool will solve everything for me. And it's not just in data governance, but really in other business areas I find. And then they're disappointed. And and that tool kind of sits on the shelf, not being used for at least a year until they get their ducks in a row because they really come to the realization, well, if we actually don't have those standards defined, if we don't have those business processes cleared out and understood, then, um, well, we can't really configure the tool to help us do the work. And that's where I think the bulk of the work lies in in setting all these things. And you can do that, you know, with a pen on paper to start. Well, I wouldn't advise it, but 
my point is you need to define those things first. You need to define those policies, those standards, those procedures, understand who the players are, because in the end, the tool will just configure what you're inputting it to, to do. And then it also needs to know, well, who's going to use it? Even mm-hmm. if you have some you know, cool AI stuff that has some automation in place, mm-hmm. all of that it really is configured on the inputs that you're providing it. Yeah, and so this this will naturally lead into kind of the the next area of conversation because even if so, let's assume and, and mm-hmm. for simplicity's sake that you even find this perfect technology tool and you're able to feed it all the the perfect data, which you know we know is not really going to happen. But even if we were able to to check all those boxes, do an excellent you know rollout, have all the licenses, get it in people's hands, and, and what have you, at the end of the day. It only accomplishes so much if we don't actually change people's behavior and 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 start mm-hmm. to transform how the individual, how the human involved in all of this works and and leverages that data. What kind of advice have do you have around that kind of cultural change um, aspect and and creating more data driven organizations? I love it how we're bringing back to the importance of change management because yes, that that is I think at the core. So I think we need to get people again involved from the start. Whenever we are um, including a new tool, a new piece of software to be used, mm-hmm. um, more more often I see it that you know it's one group of people that are doing the evaluation and they're doing the employ uh, deployment and then training. But it's all after the fact that everybody else gets involved. And I feel that if they were involved and kind of had a say and also feed into their requirements and needs and pain points, and they're really part of the journey the whole way, they're more likely to adopt and to uh, see how they could involve this new piece of software or tool in their processes. Right, right. And so are there... Are there specific techniques um, to to chip away at that? Because that feels very big. Like, I get it logically, but if I say, okay, I'm done listening to the podcast, I need to make our organization a little bit closer to this goal soon. Where where do you begin with something like that? I think a, a top-down approach works the best but it can obviously be a mix as well, bottom up. What I'm saying is it, it's hard if you don't get that support from upper management. Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't want to address this and have this as part of their communications, part of their message, part of their uh, drive to to showcase their employees, their colleagues, how this will create some, uh, some benefit, not necessarily some, well, a change, but really some benefit to their day-to-day tasks, right? Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's all about creating that business case and bringing people on board, which is mm-hmm. not easy overall. So, I mean, there's all these, you know, change management frameworks, uh, the uh, ADCAR model being one of the most famous ones, which are addressing all these different pain points and how you should address people, how should, you should start engaging with them. And I'm not an expert of it, at it, but... Uh, yeah, I, w- I would start with I would start there with something that's already been proven as a as a framework that works regardless of the industry and the field. That, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm going to ask you: I, I, if you've listened to the show, you know I sometimes ask 
tricky or unfair questions that I really, really wish I had had the foresight to prep the guest on. But we're going to see where this one goes. So obviously you have, you know, created a YouTube channel, you're getting subscribers, you're getting, you know, a, a presence out there and, and getting people's attention about these topics. I'm curious if you have advice, because I get the top down, it's great to have executive uh, support and sponsorship. What if you're sitting in an organization today where the executive team doesn't quite get it? How how can I get their attention? How can I help them understand that I have the answer? I just need them to 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 focus for a minute to understand the importance of all of this. What what can we do? What can we do to to get that attention? So I'll, I'll share with you something that I've done, and um, that's first of all to understand what other pain points are out there. So what other people are being affected by a similar thing that I'm seeing that it's affecting me, and I want to create that change in my work initially, right? So mm-hmm. it's self serving at first, but then you want to find out your tribe, really, Mm. uh, because you're not the only one within the organization that's facing those challenges. So you want to really find your champions, if you will. And in finding those champions, sometimes you kind of have to do things on the side of your desk to to prove a point. You, You do have to put in that extra work to do it on the side because you don't have the extra resources. You don't have that sponsorship in place. Mm-hmm. It's something that you're being told, no, it's not important, or you you don't even have their ear to let them know that you want to do this. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think it, it's what I've done is start to do something on the side, show that it works, invo- start involving other people, build in those champions. So then as a, as a group, you can start voicing their need or even prove how, even though you had no resources, you've done this little thing that had a big impact. Can we scale it up? And can we scale it up by having more resources? And then can we invest in these things? So that's one bottom bottom up approach that I would recommend to, um, yeah, uh, just find out what other pain points are out there, what other people are being affected by the same pain points, get the champions out of them. Ideally, uh, one of these champions, we kind of have the uh, more of direct path to upper management that you can feed into. Excellent. So that's one way of, of going about it. So now I want to flip it around. And I want to say, because mm-hmm. I, I often remark, I'm like, a lot of the major change initiatives in organizations start from when an executive gets worked up about something. And it can come mm-hmm. from, you know, being reading a, in a magazine, going to a conference, having a conversation with a peer, who knows where they get the ideas, right? But if you're in, in you know, we've both had opportunities to lead, you know, strategically top-down initiatives. You know, if you're an executive and, and you're listening to this show, because this is the Data Leadership Podcast, and there's a lot of people that are leaders that are trying to figure out how do I use data better, right? And so if I want to create this organizational competency around data and, and include the data governance, include the data quality and, and start to spin up these capabilities, which will evolve us to a truly data driven organizational state. How do I do that? And the first question that I would ask is where do I put that? in my organizational structure? Is this an IT type of initiative? Is this out of the CFO office I've seen? Is this an operating thing? Like if you're the CEO, say, where does it go? Where do we, where do we structure it and branch out from it? Yeah. And it, and it really depends again on the industry. So there, 
so many different types of frameworks. I would say it definitely needs to live under C-level positions, ideally. So if you're the CEO, why don't you just have it under your your uh, your track? That's that's uh, not a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Or you can create a, a CDO type of a role that is just focused on that. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, I've seen it under a CFO as well. It's not always amazing just because they have um, they, they always want it tied down to the uh, the income mm-hmm. uh, and the uh, revenue out of it and which is not necessarily a bad thing, but sometimes the direction of it can go, yeah, okay. It really depends on the industry that you're in. Sometimes it can work well, sometimes not so much. But I would, yes, I would create it under a C-level position. Mm-hmm. If you have a, a board, uh, an executive board, you know, you can have it under that and then start creating this, what's called a data governance council committee. Uh, I've seen it as a data enablement team uh, so it has different names, but the whole idea is that you have all these business stakeholders that are high level, usually at a VP level. So you have representation from all the different business areas of your business and uh, just start to put a plan together and see where should the company focus its efforts because you can't focus it on everything. Have the business prioritize what the yeah, minimal viable product, if you will, should be for that first year where investment should be made and then understand who are those uh, main data stakeholders that you need to involve and start there. And I, and I know this is very, very high level. Yeah, it, it is. But I think it's useful. And I think that that description, too, helps feed in the answer to some of our folks that are listening that are, are working from from kind of the bottom up. And if the CEO says, hey, where should we put this? Now we understand like this is how that CEO might want to think about that. And so that it helps us if we're not sitting in the CEO uh, seat, because that quite frankly, that doesn't happen as often as somebody else in senior leadership saying, OK, we know we have this need and this is going to be the answer around data. Um at least now we know this is kind of how, you know, some of the decision framework to do it. And, and you don't provide necessarily the, the answer because it is nuanced. It is varied. And then you can think about it at, we can think about it logically at a high level and say, okay, if, given this, this would be the case. But then we also have to think about our specific organization's ability to execute on that. Where can we be successful in this particular organization doing this kind of work? And where are those unique challenges that are existent only in our organization with either the people or the the business that we're in or the availability of resources. I've worked for some organizations where it was super easy to get software, really difficult to get hardware. I've seen places where you couldn't buy software or hardware, but you could get consultants all the time. Mm-hmm. Like it's so it's like it just depends on the unique nature of your your organizational culture and where resources exist, where ch- you know Talents and skills are abundant where they're scarce. How do you um, kind of work around some of those things? So it's it is important in recognizing and, and George, you mentioned that there's a lot of frameworks. There's a lot of um, tools out there to find more information um, and it will be overwhelming. There, there's so many possible answers out there uh, to some extent. Uh, oftentimes, I, when, especially when I'm feeling overwhelmed with options, is I often come back to you know some basic leadership principles and and things like you know I've, I've worked in organizations where they would have a reorganization they would do, reorg the business every six months. Well, popular um, 
uh, analysis is that it takes 18 months for any reorg to actually take hold. So these guys were never giving it a chance and were immediately changing it. Sometimes more consistency is better than trying to find the perfect answer. Has that been mm-hmm. your experience as well? Or do you feel like it's more important to do a lot of work up front? And then like, how do you know? Actually, the better question is, how do you know when to put that foot forward and stop analyzing the option set and start acting on it versus like, how do you know when that time is right? That's why I like the, uh, the more agile approach, mm-hmm. uh, which, which I find it's starting to find its way in data governance as well. And that's to focus on a, some very high level stuff, uh, not define them to the T, but then as you're, as you're going and, and uh, starting to exercise these things, put them into practice, you're kind of still learning and you're still finding gaps and you're really adapting it as you go along. So I find this is maybe a little bit different than the traditional sense where we're putting all that legwork before or all the analysis before and then we're implementing it and then we're putting into practice. Uh, and sometimes it's more hard to have a change after the fact. Yeah. Whereas if you're setting that expectation, let's address it as we go, might also work better. But again, it's all dependent on the industry and whatever the driver of data governance is. If it's something like a regulatory compliance, then the agile way doesn't work as much either. Yeah, that, I, I am a big advocate of that. And and a lot of organizations are um, less comfortable with some of the ambiguity that's sort of necessary in agile because you're, you're finding your way based on the information that you're getting. And so you don't necessarily have as long of a plan in front of you because you just don't have enough inputs yet. And so mm-hmm. it doesn't, it, my argument though is when, when we try to plan out too far, even in very hierarchical organizations, uh, we still don't have that information. And so those just tend to be well planned, but just as wrong as not having one. And so it's, right. it's, you know, Again, tweaking the specifics are are a challenge for any organization. And I I feel that nowadays, more than ever, really, uh, everything is changing at a much more rapid pace. Mm -hmm. So we're getting all these external influences and and needs that uh, seem to be coming in quicker than they did before. Whereas before, we could have our five-year plan. Now we do, maybe, but because more it's ingrained in us to do it, mm-hmm. but I feel it's not as relevant. I mean, even revisiting it one year after, you can see you would do a lot of changes to uh, to your initial five-year plan. Yeah, no, it, it's being nimble is so important, um, you know, from the early days to the late days of being data-driven. I mean, nimble is, you know, synonymous with being data-driven, I think. Um, so we only have another minute or two left. I feel like I've jumped around a bit today. Is there any areas that you'd like to cover or, or reemphasize before we close out? Well, Anthony, I mean, there's so many things. Uh, I think everything really is based on data, mm-hmm. even though you're not considering yourself a data organization. You have a data component to it. There's no denying it. So I think we all need to invest in uh, treating data as an asset. Yeah, I think that I think that's wise. And the more you think about that, the depth of that is just unending. It's not about being business and data. It's that your business is data. You, it is it is intertwined. And to be successful with business now means being successful with data. You, it's it's one and the same. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, George, it's 
it was awesome to have the conversation with you and, and have you on the show today. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you. And thank you for watching or listening today. In the show notes, you'll find useful links and more information about today's topic. Follow Data Leadership Lessons on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Check out my book at dataleadershipbook.com and use promo code AugmanDL at the Dataversity Training Center for 20% off your first purchase. Stay safe during these unusual times and go make an impact.